Hey, welcome to Veritas tonight. Whether you're here with us in the building or if you're listening to this sermon online, actually, to be completely honest with you, if you are listening to this sermon, then you are listening to it online on our podcast because we were asked to leave the building at the very beginning of this sermon because of a gas leak. Turns out everything's fine. Right now I'm preaching to an empty room, but you know what? God is sovereign, and so we are going to go ahead with tonight's sermon. And I want to start off by asking this question. Can I love Jesus and not the church? In a 1985 book called Habits of the Heart, it was published, and it was about individualism and commitment in American culture. In this book, they told a story, the authors told a story about a woman named Sheila Larson. Sheila Larson invented her own religion. She was going through some hard times in life, particularly at work. She was a nurse, and her job involved a lot of stress, and she decided to seek out help. She went to a counselor, started going to some therapy, and after a few weeks, she actually started to improve. And she came to this conclusion about her own personal faith. She said, I believe in a higher power, we'll call him God, but I can't remember the last time that I went to church. However, my faith has carried me a long way. You see, it's just my own little voice that gets me through my hard times. And I call this faith Sheilaism. She calls it Sheilaism. The authors of that book, they conclude that if Americans, if every American adopted this line of thinking, that it was possible that there could be over 220 million different religions, one for each American in 1985. Now, as funny as Sheilaism sounds, if you think about it, it's not really that strange at all. In fact, it's pretty similar to something you've probably heard, maybe even thought yourself, and it goes something like this. It's not the church that you go to that matters to God. Rather, it's your relationship with Jesus that's most important. Or maybe this one, all you've got to do to be a Christian is invite Jesus into your heart without any church at all. This is, uh, is actually what my wife Polly believed when she was in college. She used to have her church, and I put church in quotes, in her apartment on Sundays by herself. She'd read her Bible for a little bit longer than normal. She would put on some uh, music, some worship songs, four or five of them, and she'd be refreshed. You see, she loved Jesus for sure, but she didn't love the church. Her church growing up was, was filled with old people. It wasn't vibrant. The, the songs that they sang, she didn't like. She didn't connect with the sermon. She thought they were boring. And then once she got to college, she decided that she didn't need the church. She wanted to take matters into her own hands. Does that, does that sound familiar? Do you know people like that? Can we love Jesus but not the church? You see, when we say things like, I love Jesus but not the church, we are essentially saying in Christianese something that is very close to Sheilaism. True faith, real faith. It's something that's just between me and God, independent of any church. You see, instead of saying, my own little voice told me, we replace that with the the Christianese phrases like, well, God told me this. Or God said to me this. or, Or God showed me this. Have you bought in to Sheilaism? Is your Christian faith only, only between you and God? 
we've arrived at the final talk of our uncomfortable series. And last week, if you were here, Kyle talked about the uncomfortable reality that the people in a Christian community are messy. And yet, despite that, we need to get used to it. We read Proverbs 14, verse 4. It said, without oxen, a stable is clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You see, what that verse means is, is it's saying that without an ox, that stable stays clean. There's no mess. But if you want a large harvest out in your field, then you're going to need a big, a strong ox to do that work. And with that big, strong ox comes a big, literal, hot mess in the stable after a long day in the fields, right? And so the fact is that if you want a large harvest, you've got to deal with the mess. That same principle applies to God's people, the church. But tonight, we're going to get just a little more specific with regard to that word, church. You see, when the Bible uses the word church, what it's mainly referring to is a local, visible community of Christians that meet together on a weekly basis, mainly on Sundays. And it's comprised of different generations of people, young, old, and everything in between. These people serve and give of their time and their energy and their finances. And this group of people, they all sit under the authority of spiritual leaders like pastors, who seek to teach and to apply the Bible faithfully. That's what we need to think of. That's how the New Testament defines the word church. And so when that's what you hear tonight, that's what I want you to think of. We're going to wrap up this uncomfortable series by answering that question we asked at the beginning. Can I love Jesus and not the church? Acts chapter 20, verse 27 Through 29, it says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of God, excuse me, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Let's go to the New Testament book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 19. The Apostle John is speaking about false teachers inside the church. He said, these false teachers, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Final verse, Acts chapter 2, one of the most magisterial descriptions of the early church community. Verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. By selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three times in those verses we hear that phrase, see that phrase, we're together. You see, the earliest Christians, they knew nothing of Shelaism. They would have known nothing of a relationship with Jesus apart from his church. That would have been impossible for them. They could not be spiritually transformed in the way these verses are describing apart from their commitment to a local church. 
You see, they were devoted to the larger body of Christians. They were devoted to singing together as a group and to the teaching and the preaching of the Scriptures. They were devoted to their participation in the sacraments like baptism and communion, which are the two sacraments Jesus commands. They were devoted to having everything in common as a community, to their outreach and service to those outside of the church, to their giving of their finances and possessions. You see, their devotion to all these things was seen as essential to their own spiritual growth and their spiritual transformation as Christians. This kind of devotion was the fundamental foundation to living out their Christian life, their Christian faith. You see, when it, when it came to their view of the church, these early Christians, we might say it like this, they were hosts, not guests. You know the difference between a host and a guest, right? If you're the guest at a dinner party and you walk in with the expectation that you're going to be served, Somebody's taking your coat, somebody's offering you something to drink, making you a meal. The hosts are carrying the conversation. Being a guest, it's relatively speaking, not a lot of work on your part. But if you're hosting that dinner party, it's a whole different story, right? You got to clean your house. You got to plan the meal and plan the drinks. And then you got to go actually get the food and bring it back. You got to carry the conversation and plan the night. Why? Well, of course, you want to serve your guests. You want to make them feel welcome and at home and have a good time. You see, when it came to the church, the early Christians, they had a host mentality. They devoted themselves to it. They identified themselves with it. They saw it as a place to give, not just to receive. They viewed the church as their home. This is what every Christian must be devoted to and what every church must be, but, but oftentimes I think that, that we Americans, we don't see the church that way. I think sometimes we're tempted to view the church as expendable, kind of like what we've been saying with Sheilaism. Why do we view it this way? Well, I think it's foundationally because we are swimming in a society of individualism. We are surrounded by a culture that is founded upon the self, and this has impacted and formed our concept of Christianity and our view of church in ways that we maybe see, but in other ways that we might not see. You see, whenever somebody today asks, you know, what's Christianity all about? Uh, perhaps the most common answer is, you know, Christianity, it's a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, now hear me say, we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus if we want to be a, a Christian. And that faith is relational with a personal God. That is true. We need that. And yet at the same time, nowhere in the Bible will you find anything like that kind of definition or description as the heart of Christianity. You see, when our first and foremost definition of what it means to be a Christian is that it's only a personal relationship with God through Jesus, with no mention whatsoever of a church, of a larger body of believers, then it proves that we have made individualism a core virtue of our faith. And on top of that, we have founded and built Christianity. You see, if that's what we think, then the church is expendable. Maybe you've heard of Donald Miller. He's written books like Blue Like Jazz and, and Through a Painted Deserts. He, he said this in an interview once. He said, you know, I connect more with God outside of the church. The church is all around us. It's not confined by a specific tribe. Did you hear the either or? You see, he says he connects with God outside of the church. Now, I'm not exactly sure what he means by that, but if he means uh, that he reads his Bible, 
and he prays and he enjoys God's creation and he finds himself thankful and growing in his love for God because of that outside the body of believers, outside the church, then that's fine. I do that in different ways and I hope you do too. But to believe that outside connection with God can replace the church is wrong. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We need both. Or listen to Rob Bell. He's a former pastor, a former author. Right now, he lives in Southern California. He now believes that church is simply doing life in a beach community with his own tribe of friends. He recently said in an interview with the Huffington Post that he and his friends, quote, are churching all the time. Again, I, I don't even know what it means to quote church all the time, uh, but I do know that that statement is used as a reason why he doesn't need the church, the local body of believers, different generations, giving it their time, their effort, their money, their resources, all sitting under spiritual leaders who are teaching and preaching the Bible faithfully. I think sometimes we're also tempted to view the church as like a trip to the grocery store. A pastor named Soong Chan Ra says it this way, how easy it is for an American Christian to approach finding the right church the way we approach buying cereal at the supermarket. We're looking for all the right ingredients and rejecting churches because they don't have our style of worship, our style of preaching, or our types of people. We are purchasing a product rather than committing to the body of Christ. Why is that? How did it come to this? Well, I think... Uh, the heart of it is because of, for lack of a better term, choice explosion. Uh, choice explosion. New York Times columnist David Brooks, he wrote an article in the op-ed section of the New York Times with that title, The Choice Explosion. And, and he points out how that Americans now have more choices over more things than any other culture in human history. I mean, think about it. We, we can choose between all sorts of things, food and drink. There's something like 80,000 different combinations of coffee at Starbucks. Guess how many different kinds of Cheerios there are? 18. There's 18 kinds of Cheerios. What's wrong with the world? The, most, uh, the, the weirdest one, I think, Cheerios plus ancient grains. No thanks. I'll take Honey Nut Cheerios. Uh, we can choose from different media sources. We can choose different majors. We have all sorts of choices when it comes to our clothes, what bank we want to choose, medicines. I will never forget the very first time Polly asked me to go get cough medicine for our oldest daughter, Adeline. I went to Walgreens, and I found a wall of medicines in the cough medicine aisle, but not just the regular cough medicine aisle, the kid cough medicine aisle. There were 50 different types. I stood paralyzed like a deer in the headlights. Somebody had to come find and help me. David Brooks concludes his, his, his article by talking about the effects of this choice explosion culture. He says, you know, this opening, it has produced much that is wonderful, but it means that making decisions well is incredibly difficult. And to that, I would add, not only making decisions, but committing to those decisions is incredibly difficult. You see, I think that choice explosion erodes away our desire and our ability to commit ourselves to all sorts of things in life, but especially to commit ourselves to a particular church. And instead, this, this culture sets forth the expectation that choosing such a church is like a trip to the grocery store. We've got to find just what we need that fits our preferences just right. 
Finally, I, I think sometimes we view the church as an institution to critique. Do you find it easy to critique the church, to criticize the church? Well, you know what? Join the club. Every generation is dissatisfied with the church in some form or another, and other institutions, by the way. You know why that is? Probably because the church is filled with sinful people. You know, the church is not an all-star team. It's a hospital. And a hospital has people who are sick in all sorts of ways. Remember, if you want a growing church... You've got to be ready for some mess, just like that ox in the stable. And so because of this, because the church is a hospital filled with sick people, critiquing the church might be one of the easiest things in the world to do. Over the past uh, couple weeks, I've asked a few students and pastors what the different critiques that they've heard about the church over the years, from, from Christians involved in a church to non-Christians not involved in a church. Not an exhaustive list, but, but see if any of these sound familiar. The church is full of hypocrites. The people there are weird, they're boring, they're lame. The church crowd expects too much of its people. They don't like the church to be too hierarchical or to have too much structured order, but then they hate it when the church has poor leadership. Some people wish the church was more diverse, particularly maybe racially, but then they leave it and go hang out in a coffee shop with people just like themselves. People want the church to know that it has a horrible reputation with outsiders. But then when the church tries to improve the reputation to outsiders, those same people complain that the church is too concerned with appearances. Or how about denominations? People don't like denominations because they want unity in the church. But they fail to see the irony that when they leave the church to do their own thing because they can't find a single church that can satisfy them. Some people want church leaders with a vision but then those people don't want those leaders to tell them how to live. They want the church to have good friendships where people really know each other, but then the complaints come that the church is too isolated and only cares about the people inside of it. Some people insist the church not judge others, but then they judge the church when they perceive that the church is judging others. We could keep going, but, but I think the point is clear. Yes, the church has lots of holes, has lots of problems, has lots of sins, and you know what? The church, we need to be humble. We need to be repentant if and when those things come up. You know, if you have been hurt by the church, I want you to hear me say that I'm sorry. It is not okay. Whatever has been done to you in whatever ways that you have been hurt, you have every right to critique that particular church. You see, when wrong is committed, the church, that community, we need to own up to it. And yet... The fact that the church has failed shouldn't surprise anyone. It shouldn't surprise anyone because the goals, the ideals, what we are striving for, they're based upon the character and the teachings of Jesus. Who can do that? Nobody. The people within the church are sinful and broken. It's a hospital. Because of this, criticizing the church is the easiest thing in the world to do. How do you think Jesus views the church. Did he think it's expendable? Does he think it's a trip to the grocery store? Did he critique it? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Oddly, we find one of the most profound truths about the church in a passage about marriage. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. In other words, that you, church, were bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus died for the church. Stop and think about that for a second. Jesus willingly hung on a cross, bleeding and suffocating to death to secure a relationship with a group of people who were, are, and always will be messy, awkward, weird, sinful, broken, imperfect. A couple of years ago, I was talking with a pastor who, in an earlier job, earlier church, had been, quite frankly, treated like crap by the leadership. He was unjustly terminated. His reputation had been dragged through the mud. But at the very end of the conversation, he said something that I still haven't forgotten. He said, you know what? If Jesus didn't die for the church, I still wouldn't be around. I would have left it a long time ago. But you know what? He did die for it. And since Jesus died for it, I'm going to stick with it. And I'm going to value it. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is building the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God is growing. Jesus is growing and building the church. You see, Jesus doesn't need the church. He doesn't need the church to spread his kingdom here on earth, but you know what? He wants the church to do it. You see, his church is the normal way by which he is ridding this broken world of sin and replacing it with love and justice and mercy inside of our hearts and outside in the world. You see, if we disregard the church, if we sidestep the church, or just think the church is a nice little accessory or add-on if we want, kind of like, I don't know, a side of ranch, then we're missing it. Author uh, Brett McCracken, he wrote the, the book Uncomfortable that we based this series off of. He says this about our church commitment. Our real choice is this. Do we want to be plugged into the lifeblood and energy of the body? Or do we want to cut ourselves off from this body? lying inert somewhere as a severed finger and amputated leg. The upside of being a severed finger is you don't have to bother with cooperating with the other fingers, annoying as they are. The downside is you can't really do anything, and you have no biological connection to the neuron signals coming from the head, which, by the way, is Jesus. Now, having said all of that, I know there are a lot of you in this room and in Veritas who have been attending the crossing for a while now. If you don't know, the crossing is the local church here in town that Veritas is connected to. If that's you, you know the church isn't expendable. You don't have any major critiques of the church, of the crossing. You don't view it as a grocery store because you've been attending now for a while. Now, if you've only been going to the crossing for a couple weeks, or if you're about to graduate in a a few weeks and leave at the end of the semester, this next question isn't for you. But if you have been attending the crossing for a few months, maybe even a few years, let me ask you this question. Are you an actual member of the crossing? Have you gone through their membership class? If you haven't, why not? 
What's stopping you? Let me ask this a little bit of a different way. Do you think of the crossing as that church out there or, or my church? When you think about events going on at the crossing, do you think they are doing this or we are doing this? Let me ask one more way. How have you benefited from the crossing? Maybe you've benefited from the sermons preached on a Sunday morning. Maybe you found a home through your Veritas small group. Maybe you've been poured into by one of the pastors uh, here in Veritas or a full-time staff member of Veritas in some way or another. Guess what? Full-time Veritas staff members are full-time members of The Crossing. So if you've benefited through Veritas, you have benefited via The Crossing. If you've been attending for a while, I hope you realize that you've been served. You've been a guest at the crossing. And it's fine to be a guest. We're so thankful that you have been. That's actually why the crossing exists, to serve others. But you know what? It's not okay to stay a guest. If you've been attending for a while or you plan on continuing to attend the crossing in the future, it might be time to take that next step and be a host. It might be time to commit yourself to becoming a member of the crossing. Now, I, I, I will bet money I know the things that you're thinking right now. I know the objections that you're going to say. You might be saying, Austin, you don't understand. I've already got my home church back where I grew up. Well, that's fine. But how often are you actually home? Are you actually giving of your time and your effort and your resources to that church back home? Uh, no, right? No, because you're here most of the time. So that church back home isn't benefiting. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, you can actually transfer memberships from churches. The church is not a marriage uh, like this in that sense. It's not like you'd be cheating on your home church with a crossing. It's okay that your home church will understand, right? Uh, The goal is to commit and become a member of a church in your local context. Oh, but but Austin, I I go to Veritas every week. I'm connected. Isn't that enough? Well, well, yeah, attending Veritas is a good start. And so if you've committed to that, please hear me say uh, we're so thankful that you're here with us every week. I know you could be doing a lot of other things, but you choose to come here, whether you're in person or listen on the podcast. That's great, but here's the deal. Veritas is only a part of the local church. Remember, the church, it asks its members to give of their time and to give of their finances. Here at Veritas, we never have and we never will pass a basket of money around and ask you for money to go to Veritas. We're never going to do that. And also remember that church, it's made up of people of different generations. You don't find that here at Veritas. There's only so much wisdom and advice that you guys as college students can give to one another about life, about relationships. You need to hear from people a few steps ahead of you in life. I need to hear from people a few steps ahead of me in life. You know, I've got three young kids. I need to hear from families with kids in middle school and high school to say, hey, how did you handle this situation? Because I don't have it all figured out. I need to talk with, with husbands who've been married for 20 and 30 years about what they went through in their year 9 and year 10 of marriage, like I'm in and approaching. If you don't commit to attending and if you don't commit to joining a local church, then you lose out on a wealth of wisdom. Last one, Austin, you you don't understand. I'm only going to be here for a year or two. Is it really even worth me becoming a member? Can I do any good in a couple of years or even, gosh, for a few months? The short answer is yes. 
when it comes to church membership, a little bit is better than none. Now, would it be ideal if you could stick around for four, five years, maybe even after college? Well, of course. Would it be a waste of time if you served in a ministry at the crossing, even for a few months? No, not at all. You know, I'm not sure how God could use a few months or a year or two of serving in a ministry. I'm not sure how God might grow you in one or two years of giving your time and effort and finances toward the crossing. I don't know, but I do know this. God will make less of an impact in you and in the lives of others if you stay a guest, if you're sitting on the sidelines. Remember, it's okay to be a guest, but it's not okay to stay a guest. So simply put, why not commit to becoming a member of the crossing? The way you become a member of the crossing here in town is you have to take the discovery class. It's a six-week class that lays out the doctrines of the church, how you can serve, next steps. If you're around this summer, they offer it on Sundays. If you're around this fall, they offer it on Wednesday nights. Consider taking this class. And I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'll make you a deal. If you go through this class this summer, If you go through this class this fall and you don't benefit in some way, I will give you $50. You've heard it here. It's on record. Finally, to those of you who are still looking for a church, a local church around town, or to those of you who are about to graduate, move on to the next stage of life, move on to a new city, let me answer this question. How do you choose a church? Let's start with the non-negotiables. Number one, you need to find a church that is doctrinally faithful. Pick a church that believes the entire Bible is the authoritative and inspired word of God. Pick a church that's committed to preaching sermons that are grounded in the scriptures. Pick a church that believes in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus. One that believes in the humanity and the deity of Jesus. One that believes in the Trinity. God as one person, sorry, one being, but three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Another non-negotiable Pick a church that's committed to developing and cultivating community. Pick a church that values living life together, ones that encourage you to join a small group, ones that promote learning together with different types of people, different ages, different races, all of that. Third non-negotiable, this church, pick one that's committed to serving. Pick a church that unapologetically asks you to serve in all sorts of different ways. After the non-negotiables, there's a lot of negotiables out there. Music style, you know, what kind of music do you like? What kind of music does the church play? What's the preaching style? What's the size of the church? Do you want a larger church? Do you want a smaller church? You need to know the realities that are going to come with each. Last thing to say, give yourself six to eight weeks to church shop, to look around for different churches, and then you got to land somewhere. you got to take the plunge. Is six to eight weeks enough time to know everything about the church? Of course not. You can't know everything in that time, but you know what? It is enough time for you to know if those non-negotiables have been met. And you know what? With every church you try out, make it a priority to meet and to talk with the pastor of the church. If it's a good church, they're going to make time to hear from you. They're going to want to sit down with you. And once you decide on the church, roll up your sleeves and start serving sooner than later. If you, if, you know, if you ever need help of finding a church, please reach out to me. Please reach out to any of our staff, and we would love to help you figure out what that's going to look like for you in this next stage of life. Before I got married, you know what the furthest thing from my mind was? Musicals. 
There wasn't much that I cared about less. Up to that point, I had seen zero musicals in my life, and I was fine with that. I'd have, to be honest, rather gone to the dentist than to see a musical. Uh, but then I met my wife. It turned out that she loved musicals. And it became very obvious that if I wanted to continue to date her and to be a part of her life, that I, too, would begin to need to tolerate and maybe even commit myself to the musical world, watching musicals, maybe even going to musicals. And so, because of that, to this day, uh, my wife and I, we try to go to a musical at least once a year. And you know, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Why? Because I love my wife. Because I love my wife, I'm committed to growing in my love for and supporting and taking an interest in the things that she loves, like musicals. But you know what? The same goes for her and my love of sports. My favorite sport to watch, if you know me, is the NBA. My wife could care less about watching the NBA. But every now and then, you know what? She'll sit down next to me and she'll watch a game. Or she'll ask, you know, how are the Lakers doing? Or wonder where Anthony Davis is going? Or who's going to be the future face of the NBA? All great questions, by the way. But it's great. I see her making an effort, and I love her all the more for it. You see, I love Polly. And because Polly loves musicals, I'm committed to loving them too. And Polly loves me. And because I love the NBA, Polly is committed to loving it too. Why am I telling you this story? Well, it illustrates the reality that when we love someone, if we truly love someone, then we love the things that they love. Which brings us back to where we started. Can I love Jesus and not the church? I don't think so. I don't think that we can really and truly love Jesus without loving the church because Jesus loves the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, perhaps the most explicit place we see this in all of Scripture, says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. See, if we really love Jesus, and if we're wanting to want to love Jesus more, it means that we're committed to loving the things that Jesus loves. His priorities become our priorities. His commitments become our commitments. His loves become our loves. And yes, Jesus loves the church, broken and messy place that it is. So if you love Jesus, but you don't love his church, why not? Maybe you do have a good and a legitimate reason not to love a particular local church. Again, maybe you've been hurt or burned. I hear that. I understand that. I'm sorry. I would love to hear your story That's not okay that that happened, but but don't give up on the church. Since Jesus hasn't given up on you, and since Jesus hasn't given up on the church, you don't give up on the church. Find a good church. Find a better, more faithful church. If you only go to Veritas, or you only go to another campus ministry and haven't been attending a local church like the Crossing, why not? You see, Jesus died for that church. Jesus is building that church, and you will benefit from attending that church in ways that you did not think were possible. Finally, if you've been attending the crossing for a while now, and you will be for the foreseeable future, and you haven't become a member of the crossing, why not? You've been hosted. You've been a guest. Don't stay a guest. Become a host. Commit to taking the discovery class this summer or this fall. Devote your time and effort and finances, your entire life to committing to and building up the body of Christ. I I wonder, I wonder what would happen in our world, in the city of Columbia, if together we love Jesus and 
We love his church. I wonder what would happen. I don't know, but I hope we can find out. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess the ways that we find your church expendable. We find it easy to critique your church, the ways that we view your church as a grocery store, try to fit it to our own needs. We are sorry for that. Please forgive us. God, I pray that the words that you have spoken to us tonight would land. I pray that maybe we would commit to joining a local church, becoming a member, maybe start attending a church. God, I don't know what you have for each and every one of us who are listening to this sermon, God, but I pray that it would uh, serve to further your kingdom, that you would continue to be building your church and working in and through your church to spread that kingdom of love and justice and mercy to the rest of the world. We thank you that you died for the church, that you are building the church, and we pray this in your name. Amen.